Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Monday, November 8th, 2021. Christians love to talk about eschatology, and that can be a source of just of great interest because it is an interesting topic. It can also be the source of disagreement, and even when that disagreement isn't heated, it can turn into something that Christians love to talk about because there are various perspectives on the timing and the sequence of events that we see in Scripture, and how is that all going to work out? And there is a place for those discussions. Those discussions should not be neglected. We should seek to dig into God's word to see what it has to say uh, on these topics. But one thing that we need to make sure that we don't miss in all of those discussions is the so what. Uh, What are the practical ramifications of eschatology? And that's where God in his word sometimes gets very practical and specific in Uh, how he tells us to apply things that really deal with the end. Uh, That's what eschatology means, the study of the last things, the the end times. Uh, And we see a little bit of that. We saw a little bit of it on Saturday, and we see a little bit of it today in our reading in 2 Peter chapter 3. Today, we're looking at verses 11 through 18, wrapping up the book of 2 Peter. But What we see as we ended in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So that's speaking about something in the end times, right? Something that is still yet to come. But then verse 11 tells us the so what. Okay, this is what's going to happen in the end. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief. The heavens are going to pass away. The heavenly bodies will be burned up in and dissolved, right? All these, you know, cataclysmic things are going to happen in the end. So what? And we see that in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are awaiting we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And, and whatever eschatological perspective people are coming from, the events here seem to be the things at the very end. And even there, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth and getting into the eternal state um, that uh, that's where you find a lot of agreement among Christians that we will live forever with the Lord in a new heavens and a new earth. And so as we think about all that, he gives us some very clear statements that we then ought to be people that have a, a zeal or really an excitement, a passion for lives of holiness and godliness. Because we know that the world that we look out our windows and see and this life that we're living is short and temporary and not eternal, our focus should be set on the things that are, and that will lead our lives to holiness and godliness. Let's think about those terms. And even as you think about this week, right, it's so easy to be wrapped up in what you're going to face this week, what's going on at work, what's going on at home. And those might be important things. 
But when we remember, hey, the world as we know it is passing away and I'm living for a new heavens and a new earth at the top of my priorities and even bleeding its way into all of my priorities at work and at home or wherever else I may be are holiness and godliness. And the idea of holiness is really being set apart. And we see that ultimately God is holy, holy, holy. He is set apart. But we've already seen in 1 Peter, he says, be holy for I am holy. And so when we think, what does that look like on a human level and a human perspective, right? We're set apart for God. And a big part of that will be moral purity where we're set apart from the things of the world. Is that the kind of life that you are seeking to live this week? To be set apart from the things of the world. And, and what does that mean? Well, what we're going to see pretty soon here in just a couple of days in First John, it defines the things in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of uh, the eyes and, and the pride of life, right? That we want to be separated from those things, right? We can't leave the world. We can't uh, leave our, our obligations, but we are called to leave the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We ought to be zealous for holiness, in this world, because this world is not our home. And also we should be zealous for godliness. Now, I always think of a couple things when I think of that word. Uh, One is really the idea of being like God, godly, uh, being like God and seeking to have his character qualities be what define us. And we had a whole list of that just a few days ago in second Peter from chapter one, where it talks about faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These are the attributes that we should seek again to build into our lives. And another sense of godliness, I think is really just living life in the presence of God, always being aware of God. His, there's the reality of God that he is watching, uh, that he is present in our lives and we want to live for him. Are those the, the top things and the things that really bleed through all of your priorities this week to live a holy life set apart and to be zealous for godliness living like God and living in the presence of God. And then we see in verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Now waiting for that there needs to be that expectation that we don't let ourselves get consumed with the here and now because we know that it is temporary. And so we are going to focus on the future very intentionally. But also what's that idea of hastening? Well, there's discussion about what that means. If that's just more, you know, hey, we're excited for it. But I think uh, that there is more to the story than that. Even one study Bible I looked at talking about this passage, the ESV study Bible gave some comments that I thought were helpful. It said, therefore, from a human perspective, when Christians share the gospel with others and pray, according to Matthew 6, 10, the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come and advance the kingdom of God in other ways, they do hasten the fulfillment of God's purposes, including Christ's return. And that brings us back even to yesterday. Why hasn't Christ returned? Because he's waiting for more people to repent. How can we hasten the return of Christ? By calling more people to repent, by doing the work uh, of the great commission that is really causing uh, the Lord to wait Um, And so as we think about those things, that should give us priorities. And again, if you have any of the kind of 
accepted orthodox views of eschatology, this should be an application. Whatever the view is, we all should agree Jesus Christ is coming back. This world as we know it will be done away with, and there will be a new heavens and a new earth where we will dwell with the Lord forever, in which righteousness dwells, as it says here. Therefore, we ought to be passionate for holiness, godliness, focused and waiting on the coming day of the Lord, and hastening the day of the Lord. I believe by living these kind of lives and being committed to what God has called us to in the Great Commission. So I want to encourage you to check your own heart, and as you enter a new week, to make those your priorities. Now, as we think through some of the aspects of that, that should create a longing in us, a longing for something else, a longing for our heavenly home. That should be a part of our life uh, in this world. And we get a sense of longing as we start the Psalms of Ascent today. So we're reading Psalm 120. And from Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, that you're going to see at the beginning of all of them, a song of ascents. And I think these were psalms that they would uh, sing and read as they would come up to the temple, both as they would approach Jerusalem, which you're going to have to ascend. Jerusalem was on this mountain ridge going down the middle of Israel. So whether you were coming from the east or coming from the west, you would have to ascend to Jerusalem. And also, uh, I think it's likely they would have sung some of these songs even as they ascended the steps to uh, the temple. And even at the southern steps, you see there's the same amount of steps as there are songs of ascents. And so I've been a part of where we, on each step, would read another another psalm as we stepped up all of Uh, the steps. But this first one, you get a sense of somebody that is far away from the temple, but longs to be there. It says in verse five, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when they speak, they are for war. And that's where we read in Second Peter about this new heavens and new earth. That's our home. But right now, that, that is not where we live. And so hopefully we can identify with that sense of longing that we see in Psalm 120. But also, as we think about living lives of holiness, that means we should want to stay away from sin. And that's a good setup for us digging into the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1 and 2 we're reading today. Now, a lament or to lament is kind of to to cry, to mourn something. And so these are put together by the prophet Jeremiah, you know, in the wake of the destruction of Jerusalem. These are really poems of lament. And I even found that interesting reading it today. You'll notice um, these first two chapters, they have 22 verses. And even chapter three is the the chapter that doesn't, but it has 66, which is a multiple of uh, 22. And really, they just divide the verses there differently. But kind of like we saw in Psalm 119, these are acrostic poems, 22 verses, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, each verse beginning with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And I found, you know, just interesting that even the prophet Jeremiah uses really an artistic way in the midst of tragedy to express the truth of God's word. You know, these are poems that were intentionally crafted, even in a time of of tragedy, uh, to convey really the heart of God as we know these words were inspired by the Holy Spirit. But in these laments, you see the seriousness of sin. You see what sin has caused. Even in chapter one, you see some things really that seem like they're coming, like they're from Jerusalem, like Jerusalem is mourning. 
And look at verse 18. It says, The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity, right? What a poignant expression of the sinfulness of sin and the consequences of sin. Uh, Look at verse 20. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns. My heart is wrung within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves. In the house, it is like death. And so even there, in just those verses, you you see that the terrible consequences of sin, and may that be another thing that drives us towards holiness. Uh, Finally, let's wrap up in John chapter 7, as we look at verses 40 through 53. And here we're going to see the the wrapping up of this chapter. And again, you're going to see a lot of confusion here. And let that just be a call to us that we need to dig into God's word because clearly people here were confused. They were blinded, right? Some people are calling Christ the prophet. Some are calling him the Christ. Well, if you have all of scripture now, you should be able to say, well, that's the same thing. Christ is the prophet that was foretold. And then some of them say, well, is the Christ to come from Galilee? They knew that the Christ was supposed to come from Bethlehem. But early in this chapter, people were saying, well, we don't know where the Messiah is going to come from. So you see there's this confusion and even a failure to investigate where Christ was even born. And then you see the Pharisees even arguing with Nicodemus. um, And really, they're so blinded that what Nicodemus is saying is, is legit. Uh, But they're not willing to listen to him because they are so blinded by their opposition to Christ. But you'll notice the officers that come back empty-handed without having arrested Jesus. Look at the words that they say in verse 46 when they say, No one ever spoke like this man. And that's why we should be eager to dig into God's word every day. Because we have the word of God. There is no other book that is like it. There is no other place that we will find life like in God's word. And so as we consider what it says, may it impact our lives this week. May we be people uh, eager for lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the day of the Lord. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.